When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. It's episode 67 of the podcast. I'm Chris Peters. So glad you could join us for this week's episode. We've been gone for a few weeks, but I've been a little busy. I was at the World Junior Championship all the last two weeks, and so we didn't have any episodes, but now we're going to get you all caught up on that tournament. I'm going to give you a bunch of thoughts from the, the event that was, the performances that we saw, and also talk a little bit about how this tournament may or may not have impacted the NHL draft, but a very fun tournament in general. It was one of the best that I've seen, and we're going to talk all about it. But before we get to that, just want to remind you, if you haven't yet, subscribe to this podcast on your podcast app of choice so that you make sure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, go ahead and leave a kind rating and review. It really does help get the podcast out to more people. It's a great way to support the podcast without really costing anything but a couple of minutes. So if you would be ever so kind to leave a written review and a five-star rating on your app of choice, especially if it's Apple Podcasts, seems to really help quite a bit. So please continue to do that. And also you can watch every single episode of Talking Hockey Sense on flowhockey.tv. You can catch it on the app. You can watch it on desktop, mobile, whatever you want to do. You can find this here with all of the great games that we have for you on the app. A big one coming up this week that I wanted to spotlight is because Sacred Heart, you know, we don't talk about Sacred Heart a lot in the college hockey landscape, but I think that's going to start to change a little bit, at least in the context of Atlantic hockey, which of course you can see every Atlantic hockey home game on Flow Hockey. Sacred Heart is opening up a brand new building. It's going to be considered one of the best in college hockey. We're going to have that game for you on flowhockey.tv. They're playing Boston College to open things up. Should be a great one. That's on January 14th. So make sure you do check that one out because it's going to be a new building, a great college hockey matchup. And you know Sacred Heart is going to be juiced to play Boston College on their opening night in their new arena. So make sure you check that out. You can also read a story about that by our own Jacob Messing, who wrote about the uh, the, the process of getting this arena built and also what it's going to mean for Sacred Heart Hockey. So lots of great games coming up throughout, but that's one to definitely keep an eye on. And you can always subscribe to flowhockey.tv, getting the ECHL, CCHA, Atlantic Hockey, USHL, and so much more. And more to come, I'm sure, as well. So really excited about where things are going on Flow Hockey, and we hope that you will continue to support what we're doing there because it's been a lot of fun for me to be a part of and to watch it grow and it's just getting bigger and better all the time. All right, let's turn our focus back to the World Junior Championship, and that is really what had the hockey world's attention for the last two weeks. And now we've kind of moved on, and we're starting to get ready for this next phase of the season, which will be the second half. We're talking about the NHL draft. We're talking about you know college hockey playoffs, the junior hockey playoffs. All these things are starting to come a lot faster than you would expect. And of course, I'll have new draft rankings out in February. We'll be getting to the top 50 of the class. And it's just, it doesn't get any easier as the season goes on. In fact, it almost gets harder 
to determine where these players all slot. There's going to be a lot of changes from my early season draft rankings to this one. So I'm excited to get that out there and keep working on that because we got a lot to, to look at at the World Juniors. And, it, and a reminder, the World Juniors is just a snapshot of what the actual you know uh, evaluation process is like. But if you're watching Connor Bedard at any point during this entire tournament, you probably said, okay, well, that guy's clearly the number one pick for this year's draft. And you probably already thought that anyway, but it was only solidified. And when I say that this was the most exciting World Juniors that I've covered, um, I mean it, it wholeheartedly because you had the historic performance by Connor Bedard. You had one of the most competitive World Junior Championships I can remember. I mean, we're talking about teams that were down to the wire, even Latvia. You know, looked like they had a chance to make it to the quarterfinal, and and there were there was not a single team that went undefeated in the tournament. It's very rare when you see just a team that that's so good they can't even run the table. I mean, Canada lost their opening game to Czechia and then went to overtime twice in the medal round. So I mean, it was it was an opportunity for for Canada. We could have seen one of the great teams that they've put together in terms of offensive talent, not medal. They were that close, a goal away against Slovakia in the quarterfinals. So that just goes to show you how competitive this tournament was. Canada wins gold. Czechia wins their first medal since 2005 and playing their first championship game since 2001. They lose to Canada in overtime. But what a valiant effort and what a memorable tournament for Czechia as they play second, get the silver medal for that first medal. And then the U.S. in one of the craziest games I have ever witnessed in person beat Sweden for the gold medal 8-7, to seven. or was it 9-8? I don't even remember. It was There were that many goals. It was 8-7, but either way, it was insane how that game kind of took over on the medal day for just no one tends to care about the bronze medal game. I do. I enjoy it. I think that it's an important event. I think it shows you a lot about the players, the pride that they play with to earn a medal at this event after being crushed the night before in the, in the semifinals. I mean, the U.S. ends up coming up and they win that medal. It's their fifth medal in seven years at the World Juniors. And I remember back when I used to work at USA Hockey, meddling was an accomplishment. Now it seems like if you don't win gold, it's almost a disappointment. But I think that team winning bronze, it's a huge accomplishment, something they should be proud of, especially considering the crazy game they had to play. But getting back to Connor Bedard, 23 points in seven games, and that he didn't score in the in the final, which is kind of amazing. So he basically had 23 points over six games. It is one of the greatest individual performances in the history of the World Junior Championship. It is the fourth all-time in single tournament scoring. And let's keep in mind, this is a 17-year-old player. It was the highest scoring tournament by a U18 player in history. The most recent was Yarmir Yager, who had 18 points, and Connor Bedard had 23 he had seven points against Germany, six against Austria. And you say, well, he had some weak opponents. But still, that seven points tied a Canadian record. And I can guarantee you there were worse teams than that Germany and Austria team that have played in this tournament before. And Connor Bedard still managed, even when he wasn't even going full swing, he still managed 13 points over two games. But then he still had 10. And he had the one of his signature moments of the tournament was scoring the game-winning goal against Slovakia in the, in the quarterfinals on one of the best individual efforts you will see in an overtime. He just decided to take the game over. And because of Connor Bedard and because of how impressive 
and competitive that tournament was. I feel like the World Junior Championship has had new life breathed into it after we had the cancellation last winter, the Summer World Juniors, which was one of the worst international tournaments I've ever watched. It was an absolute slog, and I also got COVID during it, so that may have colored my opinion of that tournament, but I asked around, and even the people that didn't get COVID thought it was pretty terrible, except for that gold medal game where you had the incredible Mason McTavish play. That kind of saved the tournament, but otherwise it was pretty much a drag. And so, you know, we we talked a lot about Russia not being here and how that affects the competitive balance. And what we were reminded of in this tournament is that anything can happen at the World Juniors. We're We're not talking about professional athletes here. We're talking about guys that are on the cusp of their professional careers. Certainly there are some players that have played in the NHL or the AHL or professionally in Europe, but they are not at the level where they are going to be perfect hockey players. They're not hockey robots. They allow emotions to get involved in the game. They have momentum swings. There's all sorts of different things that happen at the World Junior Championship that make it what it is. And this tournament absolutely delivered on that incredible kind of possibility of anything can happen. You know, we saw Slovakia beat the U.S. We saw Czechia beat Canada in the opening game. We saw, you know, Switzerland beat Finland in the in the first game of the entire tournament that was just basically telling us, do not expect this to be a normal World Juniors. And then we had these just tremendously competitive games throughout the medal round. You know, we get a semifinal with Czechia um, and and just their their ability to push through. They beat, they come back and beat Sweden in the last minute. They get them in the last minute and they win in overtime and in one of the incredible games of the tournament. That next night, USA didn't have their best against Canada. Canada ends up winning there. And then you get the two medal games that go into overtime. It just, from start to finish, it was a really impressive tournament and just an incredible thing to be a part of. I think Moncton and Halifax provided tremendous atmospheres. Um, you know, the buildings were full. They were back in junior hockey buildings, so smaller buildings with lower capacities, which meant that they were easier to fill. And when they were full, they felt energetic. Even in Moncton, where Canada was not playing, they had a lot of games. You know, USA played Finland in front of a sellout crowd, essentially, there. And the whole crowd was on Finland's side. It was amazing to watch because it was, it, you know, USA basically had to play a road game for a, a game they had to win to win their group, which they ended up doing. So it, just a tremendous atmosphere for the tournament, a great moment for the World Juniors. And it's so good to have that back because when this tournament is going and when it is great, it is just about the best you can hope for. It is such tremendous games the talent that you see, the speed of the games, the incredible swings, the crazy finishes, it had everything. And, you know, a a lot of people, I I had somebody tweet me this, and I thought this for myself. I am a huge college football fan rocking the Iowa State shirt today. Um, Not a great season for us. But anyway, uh, a you know, seeing this tournament, it it does have a lot of the similar kind of vibes as college football and that anything can happen kind of situation where, hey, these guys aren't professionals. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes or they're going to allow the motions of the game to get to them. And it just creates chaos. And that's what we had at this World Juniors. And 2023 uh, will go down as one of the great World Junior Championships we've witnessed. I think Czechia winning a silver medal, playing for gold, being a goal away from a gold medal uh, is great for the tournament. Probably would have been even better if they won it just because uh, we haven't seen anybody outside of Czechia, you know, in 20 years, um, 
win the gold medal. Their, their, their gold medal in 2001 was the last time a team that wasn't named Sweden, Finland, USA, Russia, or Canada won the gold medal. So when you get outside of that top five and they get a chance to win a gold medal, it was incredible. Um, and nobody cared that Russia wasn't there. You know, like that was the other thing is that Russia usually creates another gold medal threat in the tournament. Well, that was Czechia this year. And Czechia was every bit as good as they could have been to win that gold medal. So I think that was outstanding, tremendous tournament. Um, I, I will remember that forever. Now, there was one thing I also wanted to address, which was a little bit of the, I saw, you know, this kind of flew under the radar because everybody was excited with the, the gold medal and everything else. But the IHF had a press conference that day. There was talk about Russia. There was talk about, you know, what happened with Hockey Can. And of course, Hockey Can is still going through a, a, a scandal where they did not send anybody that was going to address that scandal to the press conference that day. And then you had Luke Tardif, the president of the IHF, saying that the gold medal was maybe the best medicine for what Hockey Canada, uh, the issue. No, it's not. Hockey, the, what happened with Hockey Canada has nothing to do with hockey, and a gold medal is not going to solve the problems. And that was a pretty embarrassing comment from him. Um, but also, you know, I, I would say the Hockey Canada, the work is still being done. I think a lot of the people that are put in place to fix the issues that are there are hopefully the right people. We don't know enough about them yet and don't know how they're going to operate. But, you know, Hockey Canada has a lot of repair work to do. But this tournament and the players that played, they had nothing to do with that. They were able to have their moment and they earned that moment. And it was a great moment for hockey and a great moment for Canada as well. But we can't forget that there's still a lot of work to be done given the, the you know, the, the ongoing investigations from both the 2003 Canadian junior team and the 2018 Canadian junior team that, you know, remain ongoing and will still, there's still a lot to be sorted out here in the coming weeks. So we can't forget that. And just because Canada won the gold medal and had a great tournament doesn't erase all that. We'll be headed to Gothenburg, Sweden next year for the 2024 World Juniors. It's been pushed back because of the the pandemic. And then also there was trying to rearrange how when tournaments were supposed to be. And now Gothenburg, Sweden will get the tournament. Sweden finished fourth in this event um, and should have a good enough team. They won the World Under 18 last year, so a lot of those guys will be part of their next team. Um, so we will have to wait and see. But Gothenburg, Sweden, cannot wait for that tournament. But it will be very, very difficult to top the 2023 event. All right, wanted to turn our focus to Team USA because that's the team that I spent the most time following and being around. And so that was something that certainly, uh, you know, captured a lot of my attention and it was fascinating to watch because we didn't really know what this U.S. team was going to look like. And, you know, we, we talked a lot about how they had a small defense core. They had some really good talents up front, but did they have enough scoring? You know, the goaltending was a big question mark coming in, but USA ends up winning the bronze medal, their fifth medal in seven years. They're, you know, this is a team that I thought could have gone off the deep end in a bad way really quickly. They had a bit of a slow start against Latvia. They lose to Slovakia and then manage to win their next two games in regulation, beating Finland. They win their group out of all that, and they needed a little bit of help from Switzerland as well, otherwise Slovakia could have won the group. But Switzerland beats Slovakia. That opens the door for USA. They win their group. They get Germany in the quarterfinal, then Canada in the semifinal. And I think the scoreline was not indicative of how that game went because the U.S. started incredibly hot. They had a 2-0 lead, and then Canada scored six unanswered. There were a couple of 
you know, garbage time goals in there that made it look a little bit worse than it actually was. But at the same time, you know, I think Canada was the better team over the course of that game. And that didn't allow the U.S., you know, they, they just didn't have it. They were defensively, they were a mess in that game, especially late. I think the emotions of the game kind of took over. And that's when you start to see, you know, the youth show up. And and one point that Rand Pecknold made about that Canada game in particular is how old Canada's roster was and how much experience they had. And having a 19-year-old roster that they only had four players that were under the age of 19 on that team. Um, and that was very important for Canada to, to making the right moves and doing all the right, you know, just basically finding their way through over the course of the tournament after starting with the loss, learning from it, and then they were dominant from then on. And then, you know, really kind of had some of their stumbles here and there, but they had the experience and the talent to overcome those issues, whereas the U.S. didn't really. Um, you know, I think that the defensive depth was certainly an issue there. You know, they started, they really couldn't roll their, their, their decor as much as they would have liked to. It put a lot of burden on Luke Hughes and Sean Barons as the top pairing to play um, expanded minutes and tougher minutes that didn't allow their offensive games to really open up because they had to focus much more on trying to defend. And, um, you know, so that was an issue. And then also, you know, I think what we saw with that, uh, the team USA is that, you know, they're, they're, they were able to roll four lines. They were good enough. They actually scored 40 goals in the tournament, which was second only to Canada. And it, it's hard to believe, you know, that that team was able to to accomplish that. Now they had some big games. They had, you know, a, a lopsided quarterfinal against Germany. They had the crazy eight goal, but also giving up seven in the, in the bronze medal game. So there were a lot of different things there. And that's actually where the U.S., faltered is that they, they allowed too many goals and and that is really what in the end did them in now we have some questions later in the in the podcast that we're going to get to about the world juniors and one is specifically about the you know how the team usa's decor was constructed so we'll get to that um a little bit later but i do think that one guy that really kind of surprised was trey augustine he he was we didn't know what the goaltending was going to be like he's the 17 year old goalie he comes in um, and you look through history, he had ended up playing in six of the seven games, and that's the most ever by a U18 goalie for Team USA at the World Juniors. Um, Rand Pechtel made the point that, you know, Augustine not played back-to-back games all season, so they put him back in there against Sweden, which was a back-to-back game from the gold medal game, or from the from the semifinal, rather. And, you know, again, he didn't have, he didn't have his best stuff in that game, so... Those are the types of things that you kind of live and learn about. Um, but I thought that he was he, he performed extremely well going into the semifinals. He had a nine, uh, save percentage over nine thirty, as there was nine thirty eight save percentage. Then he came out of those two games after giving up essentially ten goals over those two games. Um, and I don't think, especially in the Canada game, there was a lot that he a lot more that he could have done because I thought that he got hung out to dry a few few too many times. And that's again, it comes back to being able to have a, a decor that's a little more defensively responsible. And that's usually not a problem for U.S. teams. You think about some of the great defensemen they've had over the years, guys like Jake Sanderson, Charlie McAvoy, uh, Seth Jones, Jacob Truba. You know, in years where they had successful teams and were able to win gold medals, they had guys like that. And so that was, um, you know, that they didn't have that this year. And that was plainly evident throughout the tournament. But, you know, I thought that Rand Pechtel did a pretty good job with the team overall. I thought that he got a lot out of them. The fact that he did score 40 goals in this tournament is pretty impressive. 
I thought they had to lean very heavily on their top line for their offense, but then they, as the tournament progressed, they got a little bit more out of their second line. They got some out of their third line. I thought their fourth line with Charlie Stramel, Gavin Brindley, and Kenny Connors was consistently one of their best lines throughout the tournament. I have almost wanted to see more of them uh, because I thought they were more effective than lines two and three at various points in time. Uh, though I will say that third line center Red, Red Savage had a really strong tournament. I thought he did was really impressive. And you'll be able to read more about my player-by-player reviews. Uh, by the time this podcast is out, it'll already be on flowhockey.tv. So make sure you do check that out. I've got player-by-player reviews for Team USA. Every single guy that saw action in at least one tournament game is on that list. So 24 total players reviewed. You'll be able to see that on flowhockey.tv. And that's where you'll be able to get even more thoughts about Team USA. But I want to move on once again to our NHL draft eligible players. Those are the ones that, you know, I thought that this was a great year to, to watch draft eligible players, to see what they were able to accomplish and to see what, what exactly uh, this draft class was going to look like at the very top because we had the benefit of having Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli on the same team. Leo Carlson playing a prominent role for Sweden. Dalibor Dvorsky, uh, Dalibor Dvorsky playing a very prominent role for Team Slovakia. Um, you know, and then we also wanted to see where different players emerged. Um, you know, I thought Maxime Sturback as well played a big, big for Slovakia. Gavin Brindley, Charlie Stramel for the U.S. Trey Augustine, who we mentioned, you know, having an opportunity at, at an elevated stage. And then there were other players as well that I thought, you know, kind of popped in this tournament and managed to say, hey, I, I deserve to be drafted. Probably none more so than Adam Guyan, the goaltender from Slovakia, who ended up being the directorate award winner of the tournament despite being bounced in the in the semifinal because he basically almost beat Canada. I mean, he had 50-plus saves in that game against Canada, and it took a Connor Bedard masterpiece to beat him in overtime. And so Adam Guyan goes from relative unknown, playing in the North American League, playing in the USHL. You can see him on flow hockey as he's still with the Green Bay Gamblers for a limited time uh, before he goes back to the NHL. And now he's got a chance to be drafted and not just be drafted, but maybe be the first goalie off the board. Um, you know, we was having a conversation with my pal, Corey Promen. You know, we, we've talked on uh, the Athletic Hockey Show. It's the other podcast that I'm on. And we talked a little bit about, hey, you know, Peter Kochetkov, who is now the, you know, essentially playing almost as the de facto starter for the Carolina Hurricanes right now, was a guy that nobody really knew about, goes to the World Juniors, has the tournament of a lifetime, and he's drafted, drafted highly, and now he's a couple years later in the NHL making an impact. Can Adam Guyan be that same kind of player? That's what we're going to find out. We're going to turn our focus back to the top of the draft, the guys that we kind of knew coming in. I just want to give you a couple of brief assessments of the players. Um, You'll also be able to read this. Uh, I'll have a little bit more in-depth on flowhockey.tv, but I did want to address it for the podcast audience as well. Um, and obviously starts at the top, Connor Bedard, not a whole lot more you can say. The one thing we can say is that he goes to the World Juniors, has 23 points, breaks every Canadian record for single tournament and career scoring, um, is the all-time goals leader. You know, we, we may never see him play in another World Junior again because we fully expect him to be the NHL next year. But what an incredible accomplishment, you know, over 35 points in, in his career when you include the canceled World Juniors where he had five points in that one. So, I mean, just an incredible overall performance for Connor Bedard here. Um, 
you know, I think the, the, the big moment was that goal against Slovakia, but he had so many others. You know, he scored the first goal against the U.S. in the semifinal. And even though he didn't score, he was a continual threat in the gold medal game. Nine goals, 14 assists, 23 points in seven total games. Just an incredible performance top to bottom. Then he goes back to his junior team, and I happened to see him. He was on the same flight I was, so it was really early in the morning, the day after the World Juniors. So he goes all the way back to Regina, takes, you know, basically misses one game, goes, plays Sunday afternoon, has four goals and two assists, is accounted for on all six goals his team scored in a 6-2 win. And he's now ahead of, you know, he's he's the has 70 points in the WHL. He's eight points clear of the next closest player who's played seven more games than he has. There are We're just running out of things to say, but given his performance at the World Juniors, given the fact that he's scoring at a 2.4 per, points per game pace, which would be the highest pace in 30 years in the WHL, simply put, we are witnessing, and just witness it and enjoy it, we are witnessing one of the greatest junior hockey seasons ever. Ever. I mean, not we don't have to adjust era. We don't have to do anything. When you look at the fact that he had a record-setting World Junior Championship for a Canadian-born player, he did it at 17 years old, and now he's having that same level of, or even a ma- more massive level of impact at the WHL level. We're talking about one of the greatest junior hockey seasons of all time. It's not hyperbole. It just is a fact. And that is what we have with Connor Bedard right now. He is a special player. We are witnessing a player that can be an elite goal scorer, a monster goal scorer at the NHL level, one of the best that I've personally seen. And I just I don't think we have to couch it anymore. He is special. There is nothing more to be said. He's a special talent. He'll go first overall. He's going to change a franchise wherever he goes. And it is going to be a massive coup for whichever team tanks their way to the number one pick and there are a lot of them doing it and boy should they if they aren't doing it right now do it now because you have a chance to land one of the premier junior hockey players in the history of junior hockey and then you also expect that he's going to be able to have that level of impact he's a genius level hockey player he thinks the game at an incredibly high level he may not be a center at the nhl level because of the size and the different things about you know, he played wing at the World Juniors. We've seen how dominant he can be at the wing. Teams might want him to do that, but that doesn't matter whether he's a center or a wing. He's going to be one of the more dominant offensive players. He's going to be an all, a perennial all-star and one of the greats of the game. But just based on what we're seeing right now, it's it, I, I, I just have no other way to project him and that he's going to be a star of this game for a long time to come. So he overshadowed everybody. So that's unfortunate for them. But at the same time, you know, we we're able to actually watch these guys. And I thought that Leo Carlson had a tremendous World Junior Championship, six points in seven games. Um, he got sick at one point during the tournament, so he did miss a game. So I'm sorry, six points in six games. Um, he missed a game, wasn't able to be as effective. Um, you know, and, and then he once he got back to, to health, he was able to make a bigger impact. He was a huge part of their win over Finland in the quarterfinal. He scored two goals in that game, and he was the star of the game. Um, you know, his size is, is, is a big part of what he's able to do. If there's one downside to Leo Carlson, it's, it's his foot speed. He, he is not a great skater. And that is why I think, you know, you'll see Adam Fantilli stay pretty well ahead of him because Adam Fantilli is a tremendous skater. 
Um, and but Leo Carlson has great offensive instincts, really good hands. He can score from anywhere. Uh, he can be an impact player. He he's he's good in the neutral zone as well. He can be a disruptive player on the four check. So I think he does a lot of those things well. And I think you know he's probably well solidified as a top three, top four pick in this draft. Adam Fantilli had the disadvantage of having a historic, you know, Connor Bedard having this historic World Juniors while he was on the same line. Fantilli moved down the lineup. However, the last two games he played, the semifinal and the final, were his two best games of the tournament by far. He impacted the game in all zones. He was good on both sides of the puck. He was dogged in puck pursuit. He was strong with the physical game. He was able to strip players of pucks. He was able to make plays. He also scored what would be the eventual game-winning goal against Team USA on a tremendous rush where USA just forgot he was out there. And he met, ends up finishing that goal. Huge pop from the crowd. Has his World Junior moment. And he ends up with five points in the tournament. Now, you might say, well, that's not that amazing. But you know, I look back at Jonathan Drouin and, and uh, Nathan McKinnon and their you know, they kind of were in a similar situation where they moved down the lineup and weren't able to make as big of an impact and have as many points. But still, you know, they the the whole body of work to me suggests that that Adam Fantilli should go no lower than second overall. Um, I think he's a tremendously gifted hockey player with great speed, great physicality, and then that scoring touch that you know can make you an all star. Some of the other guys that were kind of in that top range, Edward Schala from uh, the Czech Republic or Czechia, rather, he had a really strong tournament. I thought he, you know, he assisted on the game on the, the first goal for for Czechia in their um, uh, in their comeback bid against Canada in the gold medal game. He had one goal and five assists. The one thing that I have, if I have one complaint about Schala's tournament, it's that. He didn't have the confidence, or maybe he just felt that since he was playing with Yuri Kulich, he needed to defer, but he deferred way too much. I wanted to see him direct more pucks to the net. I wanted to see him um, you know, take charge a little bit more offensively. He has the skill. He has the size. He has some of that strength. I just wanted to see him hold the puck a little bit longer, make a few more plays, but he did make his line better. That line with him, Matias Sapovalev and Yuri Kulich was a, a, one of the best lines in the world juniors. Shala was a big part of it, and he was a threat. And I just want to see him. I I know he can score. I know he wants to make more plays. He's he's more of a pass first kind of guy. Uh, but I just want to see him defer a little bit less and take charge a little bit more. And that's going to allow him to have a little bit more offensive success. So I, I really like kind of where he's at and what he can do. Um, also on uh, Team Slovakia, Dalibor Dvorsky. He only had three points in the tournament, but I got to say, he was so good off the puck as well. His two-way game, uh, his ability to play center, you know, winning draws, making good decisions with the puck. It didn't bother me that he didn't have as many points because I could see he was impacting the game in a meaningful way. Um, and, and that came with his two-way play. He's just a very smart player. He made a lot of the right reads. You know, I would have liked to seen him shoot the puck more. He's got a tremendous shot. You know, they call him the Slovakian sniper. Um, you know, I, I think that he's really uh, has a chance to, to be a really good goal scorer. You know, I think that he's probably still going to hover around that 10 to 15 range um, just because he's not going to have great numbers this year. He's not going to, you know, necessarily, uh, you know, his, his scoring tailed off a little bit in the all 
maybe it rebounds in the second half and that that'll allow him to kind of vault a little bit more comfortably into the top 10. But I just think there are some players in this draft that are a little bit more offensively sharp than he is. And so, uh, but, but still, I think he's an incredibly smart player. I really liked his tournament. One of the guys that I thought really popped and, and played some of his best hockey of the season was Maxime Sturbeck. He played big minutes for Slovakia, top four role. He was on their number two power play unit. He was involved offensively, ended up having three assists in the tournament. But I really think that you know, he, he was great on the PK. He was blocking shots. Um, you know, five, five on five defensively was only okay. But I, the, the role that he played, I thought he played so well. And I hope that he's able to take that back with him to the USHL and play with a little more confidence because I think he's had a harder time adjusting to the USHL. And that, in turn, has made him a little less effective on both sides of the puck. I think he has more offense than he's shown in the league. I think he's a better defender than he's shown in the league. We'll see if that continues. Great World Juniors for him. For Team USA's three draft-eligible players, Trey Augustine, I think he did help himself quite a bit. Yes, he had the two games at the end that weren't that good, but he definitely stabilized Team USA's net, played with confidence. They had such tremendous confidence in him. He's a bit of a quiet guy, but he's that con- he just plays calm in the net. And you just, you know, again, I thought that he deserved far better in that semifinal than the defense that was played in front of him. And that would have helped him have a bigger tournament. Now, I still don't think that Trey Augustine is going to be a first round goalie. I don't think he's going to be a first the first goalie off the board this year. But he has definitely said, hey, I built, I deserve to be picked, deserve to be a, no worse than an early mid-round pick. And, you know, this is a guy that that I think has a lot that you can work with. And I'm excited to see where his game goes next. But, uh, you know, the, the game that he lost against Canada was the first regulation loss of the entire season for him. So pretty impressive year that he's put together. And to have that World Junior, he'll have the Under-18 World Championship as well in the spring you know, those are going to be some of those signature moments for him to prove that he belongs as as a, as one of the top tier goalies of this draft. Meanwhile, there was Charlie Stramel and Gavin Brindley. They were both on the fourth line. They both, you know, were kind of on the bubble to make it. They both earned their way. They played tremendously well in the pre-tournament, and then they were really good in the in the actual tournament. Brindley ended up with a goal and three assists. Stramel had three assists in the tournament. He was also one of Team USA's top penalty killers. Um, so I think that both of them helped themselves. I think that Charlie Stramel showed that he still belongs in that first round discussion. Same with Gavin Brindley. Brindley was one of the fastest players in this tournament. He impacted every game. You noticed him just about every shift. He was doing a lot of positive things. The question is, is, is he, does he have enough offense to be a top, you know, to be a guy that's going to go in the first round? I think he does. It just, he's the numbers have to back that up and they haven't so far this season. He hasn't been a super productive player, but I think in the role that he played at this tournament, he he made a, a, a really good impact for Team USA. And then Stramel on both sides of the puck, the defensive quality of his game looked far better than it had at any point at Wisconsin this year. He doesn't kill penalties at Wisconsin, but he was Team USA's primary penalty killer among forwards. I think his speed, all those different things, the, the, his instincts, he made a lot of sharp plays with the puck, and he also didn't take very many penalties. I mean, he had two minors in the entire tournament, and so he played disciplined hockey as well. That was one of his best showings of the entire season. And then, as of course, we mentioned Adam Guy, and I think that he's a guy that was not really on radars prior to this draft or prior to this tournament, and now he's on all of them. Everybody's got to watch him more. They'll be at the Green Bay games that he plays against the USHL. They'll be at the 
uh, NHL games that he plays when he goes back to the Chippewa Steel. We have a story on flowhockey.tv that talks about how he came out of nowhere. Great story um, from uh, Casey Mignone, who is the, his, his head coach at Chippewa. They basically got a nine-and-a-half-minute GoPro video of a, of a GoPro mounted behind his net, and that was pretty much all they had to go on to scout Adam Guyon. And they, they interviewed him. They brought him in. And he's been fantastic for them. And now he's the directorate award winner. The number one goalie is, according to the tournament directorate, um, in that tournament. It's just a remarkable story of coming out of nowhere, being an underdog, and seizing the moment and the opportunity that he was given. He was, he was, he was the last player added to that Slovakia team as well. He was not on their initial roster. And he ends up in the tournament. And he steals the show. Pretty incredible. One of the great stories. And one of the things that made this World Juniors so good. And the last guy I want to touch on, because he was on Team Austria and it was really hard for him to stand out, and he even got sick in one game. The two games that we got to see of, of, of David Reinbacher in a game where Austria wasn't completely overmatched and they had the puck, he was outstanding. I mean, dominant against Germany. Uh, you know, Gave Austria a chance. If they beat Germany, they go to the quarterfinal. He gave them a chance because he was that good. He was on the ice a ton. He was making positive plays. He was good at defensively. He was good offensively. Made a lot of great things happen. Did the same thing against Latvia in the final of the, the two relegation games. Um, I think David Reinbacher has a really strong chance to be the number one defenseman picked in this draft. He's having a great year in Switzerland. We knew going in that Austria was really going to struggle as a team and that we weren't going to be able to get a great evaluation on him. But when you look at the games where, where Slovakia or where Austria was more evenly matched, with those opponents, he was by far the best player on the ice, and it was not close. So those are the guys up for the draft that you know really popped. We'll have much more on Flow Hockey. You'll be able to read about all those guys. And I just really quickly, before we move on to the Q&A portion, where we're going to get back to World Junior Talk, the CHL, the trade deadlines across the WHL, QMJHL, and OHL are all upon us. It's going to be a, a mad dash here in the last few days for deals to get done. But if you've been watching what's happening in the WHL, there was one trade that was just so insane. It, I, I just, I, I'll just have to read it. So the Kamloops Blazers are hosting the Memorial Cup this year. So that means they are automatically playing for the Memorial Cup. But that's not enough for them. They want to have a team that's going to win the Memorial Cup. They want a team that's going to win the WHL. So they made a massive trade. They got Olin Zellweger and Ryan Hofer from the Everett Silver Tips. And they traded away 14 assets for those two players. Zellweger is the reigning CHL defenseman of the year. He just won gold with Canada for the second straight time. Outstanding defenseman. Anaheim Ducks draft pick. Really good player. 14 assets. 10 of those assets were draft picks. Four of them were first round draft picks. So Kamloops is basically betting the farm. And they are putting all their eggs in the Memorial Cup basket. But they weren't the only team to make a big deal. We're, we're going to see more. Shane Wright hasn't yet officially been moved. He probably will have been by the time you hear this podcast from Kingston. He was sent back by Seattle right after the World Juniors, scored a spectacular goal in the gold medal game. Didn't have an amazing World Juniors, but he's going to be a really good OHL player. And so he's going to bring back a massive haul. We don't know what that's going to be. There have been rumors that it could be the London Knights. There's a lot of other things that are happening. So Shane Wright still very much in the mix to be dealt here. There was another trade in the WHL where it was a single player. The Winnipeg Ice, which is one of the top teams in junior hockey, 
a, a contender for sure for the WHL title and the Memorial Cup. They got Zach Ostopchuk from the Vancouver Giants. This was a uh, they, they traded away four players, three first round picks, and a fifth round pick just for Ostopchuk, and that's. That's the insanity of trades in the CHL. If you thought they were, you know, like in the OHL, they can't trade first round draft picks. They can in the WHL. And apparently they're just giving them away like candy. I mean, there are some of the picks that Kamloops traded to Everett, they won't be able to use until 2026. So it's been an insane couple of days over in the WHL. And it will continue to be in the OHL. There's a lot of other trades happening. Some really, interesting moves to be made. So make sure you're on uh, Twitter seeing all those crazy moves because there's going to be a lot of them there. All right, we're going to go back to the World Juniors. We're going to answer your questions. I got a lot of good ones. We're going to run through them. And I really appreciate everybody that asks questions. You can always hit me up on Twitter at Chris Chris M. Peters to get uh, your questions answered on the podcast. We'll uh, go through it here, but we've got our our first World Junior questions, we're going to start with Mike R. Sanderson, and he asks me, what are your thoughts on Moncton, the arena and the city? Well, thanks very much, Mike, for the question. I just wanted to give, you know, I wanted to answer this to take a couple of minutes to say, for one, thank you very much, Moncton, for being a phenomenal host. The Avenir Center is one of the most beautiful buildings in all of junior hockey. It is a tremendous facility. They have so, you know, they, there's been so much money put into that team. They've got great facilities for the players that play for the Moncton Wildcats. You know, they've had some great alumni there over the years, but you know, you look at what has been invested in that arena, it is just tremendous. They also have an uh, an organ, which is one of the more expensive features of the entire arena and it is money well spent because that thing adds such a great atmosphere that building. Um the fans really embraced it. You got the area around the Avenir Center as well. There was an outdoor skating rink with a big video board set up. They had an outdoor concerts. They had all you know food trucks. It was a really great vibe for the tournament. I thought the city also really you know a lot of nice little places to eat. You know I didn't have a lot of time to to go hang out around there, but I went to a few places and we had some good meals and and good times. And Moncton is a, is definitely if you're ever going to go on a on a on a loop of the QMJHL. Check out that Maritimes loop and make sure Moncton's a part of it because it was a great city. Um, I ended up staying in Dieppe, which is a little bit, you know, right next to Moncton um, and really enjoyed that as well. So uh, just a just a great host. Um, Halifax was awesome, too. Never got a chance to spend uh, as much time as I would have liked in uh, Halifax, but just tremendous all the way around. Really fun environment to be a part of. And I thought it was just a tremendous World Junior Championship top to bottom because the hosts were so good. All right, our next question comes from Tate Boris, and he's got two, and we'll go with the first one here. And he asks, what did you think of Cutter Gauthier's World Junior Championship? All right, well, Cutter Gauthier, of course, the fifth overall pick uh, in the last draft of the Philadelphia Flyers. He had 10 points in the tournament, and I thought he did well. You know, I think that there were some really good moments and good flashes from him. He only had four goals, and there were two goals in the uh, the quarterfinal and two goals in the bronze medal game. You know, I thought that he 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 managed to impact the game away from scoring as well. I thought that, that was definitely something that he did well was that he he was able to make plays off the puck that were important and and helped his his team. 
Uh, he was kind of the number three guy on the line with Logan Cooley and Jimmy Snuggerud. Those two guys led the way in points, and I thought they were also, you know, really drove the offense. And you know, the one thing that I think will change as as Cutter Gauthier gets better and better is that you know his offensive game is still being refined. He's still in the process, and it's getting much better. I think that you know he, he's he's a goal scorer. But he's not just a goal scorer. He, he he ended up having more assists than goals in this tournament and was a very Im- important figure on, on Team USA's power play as a shot threat on the on the right flank. So, you know, that was good too. Um, I don't think you know, I, I think Cutter Goche feels best when he's scoring goals. And he wasn't scoring. So you could see he was pushing for it a little bit in this tournament. And so I think if he allows the game to come to him a little bit more, it's gonna help a lot and not try to force it so much because he is a tremendous player. Um, and I thought that this was a good first step, I think, next year at the World Juniors because I don't think that he's ready to go straight into the NHL after this season. And coming back to the World Juniors next year, he's going to be a potentially dominant player because he's been showing incremental improvements in the, his offensive refinement. And once he gets to that level where he's just finishing automatically, um, it's going to be a lot better for him and for the Flyers as well. So I, I think he played very well. Was very happy with his tournament overall, um, and he didn't necessarily score a ton of goals, but he was an impactful player for Team USA and was a big reason why that first line was so good. All right, another one from Tate, and he asks, do you know the reasoning Will Smith was cut so early? Um, Yes and no. I mean, Will Smith did get sick over the course of camp. He wasn't going to necessarily be healthy in a quick enough timeline. And I think there was also some fear that, Hey, he might actually get other guys sick because we've seen that happen um, at other, other tournaments. So he gets sick in the, and really doesn't, isn't able to have the training camp. I think if he was going to, if they felt strongly that he was going to make the team, they would have given him every opportunity to get healthy and be part of the group. Um, and I'll be quite honest. I thought he was one of the guys that they could have absolutely used I thought the second line was not as effective for a lot of the tournament. They didn't have the pace um, that that was going to be necessary to, to to drive offense. And if you have a guy like a Will Smith, who's a highly intelligent, quick player, he would have helped that line quite a bit um, as as just a, a more dynamic player than anyone that they had. Even though you know Chaz Lucius had a fine tournament, Rucker McGordy was fine. I think Jackson Blake was not quite as effective as they hoped he would be in a number two uh, a number two line role. But you know he's you know and and also he had you know a goal called back pretty controversially against Canada, which colors you know his numbers a little bit. But I thought that you know Will Smith was a guy that probably should have been here. I think another reason that he wasn't you know given every single opportunity to make the team. They were already pretty young, and I think that was something that was very concerning to the U.S. They had so many guys that were, you know, the 2004 birth years as opposed to the 2003, and they had to do that because the 2004s are way better uh, as you know, to a, as a whole than the 2003 class was. But that made it really difficult for them to, you know, go even younger and bring in a, a less experienced guy. Now, I do think that. I, I prefer when, when USA has used their 13th forward on a skill player, it tends to work out better for them. Um, there have been times where they, you know, they, they put that, you know, like this year it was Sam Lipkin, who's was on the penalty kill and kind of would get spot start shifts. I thought that if they had a guy like Will Smith there, 
you can plug him into any line to make them a little bit better offensively because I think he is that good. So I, I thought they missed him. I thought that he should have been there. Um, that was one thing that I disagreed with the staff on. And um, but you know, it's not my team, so I don't get to pick him. And but but if I did, Will Smith would have been on it. All right. Uh, next question comes from Jake Baskin. This is another roster construction question. He asks, I understand the constraints of the player pool, but what do you think of the U.S.'s decision to ice the small ball lineup on defense with five players under six foot in the top six? Well, it didn't go that well uh, to be completely, you know, we can say that now because we saw a much larger Canada team push that group around. We saw the fact that they're just, they weren't, they were a much more offensively minded blue line and weren't as good in their own end. Um, I think that you, you, Luke Hughes is an offensive defenseman. Sean Barron's is a more offensive minded defenseman. Ryan Ufko is offensive minded. You know, Jack Peart is offensive minded. And that was your top four. You know, they're, I have no problem with that, especially since I think that, that Barron's and Hughes were able to hold their own defensively. Yes, they would make some mistakes and create turnovers and different things like that. Um, I didn't think that you could put Ufko and Peart out there against the best players. Um, and, you know, we saw that on the first goal that Canada scored, you know, it's a broken face-off play. USA is scrambling in their own zone. And if there's one player you cannot lose off a face-off, it's the best scorer in the tournament. And they lost Connor Bedard. And that was the pairing that was out there, Peart and Ufko. Um, and you can't do that. You have to find a way to not do that. So I thought defensively they they didn't have it. And, you know, talking to scouts there, um, there was a lot of talk about, you know, why wasn't Shai Bouillon part of this team? You know, just at least get a little bit of size. He's not going to hurt you defensively. He's not going to hurt you offensively. He can do a little bit of everything. Um, but I, they wanted their blue, blue line to be extremely mobile, extremely quick. And I think when they weren't moving pucks effectively, it was an absolute disaster. Um, when they were moving pucks effectively, they were able to play that style and they made the team faster as a result because this wasn't a team that had a ton of blazing fast skaters. You know, they had Logan Cooley, they had Gavin Brindley, they had players like that. But, you know, Chaz Lucius is a really good offensive player, but not a burner with speed. Rucker McGordy, Jackson Blake, same kind of thing. They don't have dynamic speed. But if you have a blue line that can move pucks effectively and move them quickly, and you have guys that are able to, to establish that, well, then you're going to have a lot more success. And so when they did that, well, it worked. But then you saw against Canada and even against Sweden, they were not very solid in terms of defensive structure. Um, they weren't well all that good at defending the rush. Um, and, you know, we saw a lot of miscues in those games that they lost that were fully on that decor. Um, and so in the end, I don't think it was the size that was the problem. I think it was just the fact that these guys aren't, as a group, tremendous defensively. Um, and so the the crazy thing about that is, too, is that Ryan Chesley, who made the team, I thought was going to be USA's best defender, guy that you could put out there and for whatever reason, over the course of the tournament, and I, I'm not saying this was the wrong call because I think what happened kind of bears that out. He didn't play all that well, and then all of a sudden they didn't use him. He, he was their seventh defenseman, and so now you've got a guy that you expected to be one of your better defenders, a penalty killer, and he can't use him. 
that was that was jarring. And I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what happened with Ryan Chesley. I'm not sure where it all went wrong. Uh, but I also don't think that that's going to be uh, a statement on his his game. I really don't. I think that he is a much better player than than he showed at this tournament, and I think that he will make an impact in the next World Junior Championship. But that was jarring for me, and in the end, it didn't work because he didn't win gold, but they did have a team that was good enough to medal. Whether or not that's good enough for you, you know, you be the judge. I thought that they, I thought this team achieved about as high as it could at this tournament. Um, on paper, I just didn't feel like they matched up well against Canada, and then they didn't. So that was uh, that was uh, interesting. But yeah, I mean, I think that in the end, I think USA would more likely want to have some bigger, stronger players, and I think older players as well. Um, the issue is, is that the decor that they have now, um, and it's it, you know, for the for the next wave of players, still not very big. Um, not a lot of guys that 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 have the size. You look at the the under eighteen team last year. You know, there were it was kind of the same people: Ryan Chesley, Lane Hudson. Um, you know, the, Seamus Casey, who was invited to the he was at the tournament but never got in any games. You know, so there's a lot there, and you just wonder. And I think it's a learning lesson. You know, I don't think that necessarily that they'll shy away from being small on the back end. They just need guys that are going to be more defensively responsible. I think ultimately that's what they're going to come away with on that one. All right, we need to zoom through some more of these, and I want to get through this. Which three players do you think moved up the most uh, as a draft prospect based on their play? And that one comes from J.D. Clark. And, you know, I think the – the the players that moved up the most, um, number one, I think you know, I think David Reinbacher has more solidified himself as a top tier defenseman um, in this class. Even though Austria struggled so much in the tournament, the the flashes that we saw is a guy that looks like he's going to play in the league and play a long time. And we had to do that kind of with more Cider as well. He played in a lower level U twenty tournament, and that's really where I got a chance to see. Okay, this guy's got a lot of tools. There's a lot there. He thinks the game at a high level. You know, when he's actually able to have the puck on his stick, he does pretty well, and he he can make plays and he can be good offensively. And I think that's kind of what we saw with David Reinbacher in some of those more competitive games. Um, so that helped him a lot. Adam Guyan goes from not on anybody's radar to on everybody's radar immediately. So absolutely, that's a guy that you have to say has moved up. Another guy that I think helped his stock quite a bit in this tournament was Maxime Sturback. He had kind of been floating on these fringes of the first round. I don't necessarily know if he will be a first-round draft pick, but I talked to a lot of U.S.-based scouts that just weren't seeing it with him at the USHL level. Um, and at this tournament, I thought he played his role remarkably well, top four defensemen, playing in all situations for Slovakia, getting big minutes. He was out on the ice a lot during that overtime period as well. Um, he just showed me that when he's playing confident and playing within, you know, his capabilities, his capabilities are pretty good, pretty darn good. And maybe he is a first round candidate. Um, this isn't a strong year for defensemen. We got a question about that as well. But Sturback could be a guy that kind of is part of that. Well, we need to get a defenseman. Let's get him as early as we can. That could, he could be one of those guys. So I think he helped himself quite a bit in this tournament as well. Um, you know, and. Guys like a lot of the other guys, I don't think could have moved up, you know, like Leo Carlson wasn't going to move up from three to one, you know, or, 
you know, he, I don't think he surpassed Adam Fantilli. Uh, same with Edward Shaha and, and Dalibor Dvorsky. I don't think they, you know, necessarily did enough to, to expand their, their draft uh, possibilities so much more. But I do think the guys that I just mentioned um, did. And uh, I think that that's, that's really going to be, um, you know, one of the lasting legacies of this tournament, I think, is, is what Adam Guyan did uh, for Slovakia and how he basically went from unknown to we got to know everything about this guy. Uh, next one comes from Gene Parmesan, and he asks, what prospects surprised you the most at this World Junior Championship? You know, I think that uh, the guy in the U.S. that surprised me the most was Ryan Ufko. Ten points in the tournament, ended up being a top four defenseman. He was a guy that I thought was kind of on the fringes of being on this team. Um, even though I've really liked his play at, at UMass, I think he's done a tremendous job at the Minutemen. He's, he's advanced his game. He's getting stronger. He's getting smarter. You know, I think that his skating ability is is really solid. He moves pucks well. Defending still needs work. You know, he he's not the, the most solid in his own end, but when he has the puck, he makes good decisions with it. And he was an impactful player. He had a five assist game against Germany in the quarterfinals. Um, so you know, half of his points came from that one game against Germany. But he was dominant in that game, and he was moving pucks and making plays, a lot of cross crease passes, and doing all these different things. So. I thought he was one of the guys that really surprised me with his performance in this tournament. Really, really strong there. Um, you know, I think another guy that trying to think of some of the other guys that just like really popped um, in the tournament. Um, you know, I think it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but just seeing Ethan Del Mastro as a number one, number two defenseman for Canada, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks draft pick, seeing him in that environment and thriving with that. You know, there were times where I thought that he misplayed pucks and you know didn't move it as effectively. But his size, his his strength, his ability to win puck battles, the, the trust that Canada had in him to play the big minutes, I thought that was you know just kind of a a continuation of his uh, trending up from his draft season. He's just been a really good junior defenseman. I think he's showing a lot of those traits that will carry over into the pro game as well, and and, and being one of the top tier guys. And then I'd say, you know, the last guy that I think didn't necessarily surprise me, but I, I just liked his game as the tournament progressed was Philip Bistep from Sweden. Sweden had a lot of guys that really disappointed in this tournament. Guys didn't really produce, but Bistep was one of those guys who was on the younger side for the team, but was one of their best players. And his line with Leo Carlson um, and Fabian Wagner, Wagner, was so good in the tournament. They they really helped uh, Sweden stay competitive when a lot of their best offensive players just weren't clicking. And so I thought Bistet did a phenomenal job for them. He put up points. He was just, you know, it's not necessarily a surprise. He's a first-round draft pick. But I thought that he really popped in this tournament and did a lot of really good things. Next question comes from Luke Anthony. And he asks, what are your thoughts on Logan Cooley's World Junior Championship and college season so far? Do you think he'll be NHL ready to start next season? I think it's only natural to ask that question because he just had 14 points at the World Juniors, which is the sixth most ever by a, an American in a single World Junior Championship. So big-time performance from Logan Cooley at the World Juniors. Um, but I would say that uh, I don't think he's NHL ready. I think there's more for him to do. I think that he needs more time to refine his game a little bit more. The one thing that I think Cooley did in this tournament um, that didn't help him a lot was he tried to do too much sometimes. And he was trying to, you know, he tried to take on guys, go one on five. It's it's not going to work at the World Juniors. It's certainly not going to work at the NHL level. 
Um, it can work sometimes at college. It, it did work a lot at the USHL level uh, last year, but it's not going to work at those levels. So it's just picking your spots better, understanding a little bit more. But you look at him, and he, he was USA's most consistent offensive threat throughout the entire tournament, 14 points, leading you know second-leading scorer behind only Bedard. Um, really a strong overall impression. He's a, tremendously skilled, tremendously quick. He is getting stronger. Um, he's making plays. And I think his college season this year is showing that it, it's only gotten better as the season has gone on. We're watching more and more players take that extra year of college before they go to the NHL. We saw it with Luke Hughes last year. We're, we saw it with Owen Power. Um, you know, those are defensemen, but we've also seen it with some forwards as well. And it's really helped them take that next step. Now, Arizona might not be in a position to really wait for him. He, they could have a position for him next year. Um, but I just think that he's a, the kind of player where if you give him that little extra bit of time to be fully dominant, that is probably the best for his development. So that's one thing that I think going forward we'll have to uh, watch with him. Um, but I, I think that, you know, could he be NHL ready? Yes, I think he could. He thinks the game at a high level. He plays with a high pace. Um, I just don't know if it's the right move for either him or Arizona at this time in their organization's kind of development and in his development as well. I think there's more that he could do at the collegiate level. Um, but let's see in a few months because there's still a lot of season left. If he really takes off in the second half and is that dominant and we don't think there's much more he can do at this level, then yeah, I would say he could potentially move on. But, you know, he's he's got a lot of uh, people around him that I think, you know, will 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 push him in the right direction no matter what. Um, there's really no need to rush because he's a special talent. And when he gets there, you want him to arrive at the NHL level ready to make an impact. And I think he'd better be able to do that with one more year of college. But we'll wait and see. All right, next question comes from Dan Hogan, and he asks, does Luke Middlestat get drafted this year? So Luke Middlestat played for Team USA. He was essentially their number six defenseman here. He plays at the University of Minnesota. I think there's a strong likelihood that he gets picked only because I think there are a lot of teams that say, hey, we can pick him now or we can sign him as an undrafted free agent in a couple of years. Um, good offensive game for the most part. I thought defensively he struggled a lot in the tournament, though he was good on the PK. So that's kind of a weird balance. He did PK well for, for Team USA. Um, but, you know, there were some some defense, defensive zone miscues that I think were pretty alarming um, uh, in his game. That said, I think that he's a much better player today than he was when he was playing in the USHL last year. I thought he did had a great season in the USHL, really took off last year, was his breakout year. Um, but I do think that there's going to be some teams that say, hey, you know, we're going to take him in the later rounds this year uh, just so that we don't have to be part of that chase as a college free agent because – and there are actually some teams that will say, hey, we'll take our chances. If he, you know, if he's going to be a college free agent, he's a guy we'll pursue that way and not use a draft pick on him. That, that It can go either way, uh, depending on the team. But I do think that a lot of teams have that draft strategy of let's get a guy that has, you know, we can get some free development time out of him. He'll probably be in college for, you know, two to three more years after this um, and then go from there. All right. Next question comes from Dana, 4545. And this question is, are the Czechs and Slovaks years after this so good too? Um, it's a it's tough to say because I think that, you know, Slovakia is certainly going to have some players from this current team that will be eligible to play again next year. 
that helps. Um, you know, they're going to have some some guys that could potentially use that will be um, that that will keep them going. Czechia, same thing. A few guys here and there that should be able to help them. But I think that it's a lot harder to sustain success for these countries because of the depth situation. They don't necessarily have the depth. You know, you get Slovakia had a great goaltender this year that they almost left at home. Um, Czechia had a great goaltending performance, but also a generational decor where you had Stanislav Svozl, David Juracek, David Spacek, you know, Thomas Hamara. Um, it's just, they, they were really, really good as a, as a decor. And a lot of those guys are going to be moving on. And so that that's hard to, to sustain. I do think that these are flashpoint moments for both countries, though. It proves that they can contend with the big players. It, can, it proves that they're still developing talent. Um, and with Slovakia's recent draft history, you look at Slavkovsky, Meshar, um, you know, Nemec. Uh, we'll see it this year with Dvorsky and Sturback and, and Guyon. And, you know, there something is happening. And that's a great thing. Um, it's just, you know, there are going to be cycles for a little while here until they get a little bit more of a su- sustained success. But I do think that they're both heading in the right direction. All right. Next question comes from Corey Petrie. And he asks, is there any concern about Jonathan Lekaramaki or any of the other players from the World Juniors? I, I would say that there is, actually. I thought Lekaramaki was um, completely ineffective in this tournament. And as first-round draft pick, even though he is on the younger side as an 18-year-old, he just he didn't do much. He, he was a 13th forward at certain times. Yeah, I thought Fabian Liesel, zero points in the tournament. He did probably play better than his point total suggested, but still, he's a guy that's had a great season in the AHL. I would have never thought that he would go scoreless in the entire World Juniors. Um, you know, I just thought that in general, Sweden and Finland were big-time disappointments in this tournament. Even though Sweden ended up in the bronze medal game, I just thought they they didn't play very well for a lot of this tournament and managed to get by. So that was interesting. And then there were some other things, you know, with with Finland. I thought Brad Lambert was was not very good in this tournament, didn't make a very good impact. Um, you know, this is a continuation of what we've seen from him. And and now, you know, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, you say we used a first round pick on him and we knew it was risky. Where's the progression? We're not seeing it. And that's that's the concerning thing for me. He's a tremendous skater, highly skilled player. I'm just not sure the hockey sense is there because he's not doing enough with those tools. Um, and so that showed up at the World Juniors as well. You know, Shane Wright did not actually have a great World Junior Championship. He had a great goal in the gold medal game. He had, you know, enough points to say, hey, I had a pretty good tournament. That's a guy that I expected could dominate at this, and he didn't. And at times, he disappeared from games. And so I think Seattle, they said it was, you know, they were going to send him back to junior no matter what. They send him back to junior. That's a good thing. They got him there. Perfect. That's where he needs to be. He was not ready for the NHL. And even at this World Junior Championship, we probably wanted to see a little bit more from him than we did. But he will always have that signature moment of that tremendous goal that he scored in the gold medal game, going inside out, backhand shelf, incredible goal. Um, and it happened on his birthday. So, uh, you know, but I think ultimately Shane Wright, he's not, a, it's not a concern. I'm not worried about him because I think that he's going to continue to develop and going back to junior is the right thing for him. 
But yeah, I mean, Lekaramaki, Liesel, Lambert, um, you know, there were a lot of players that I think underwhelmed at this tournament. And those are the guys that kind of stick more prominently in my mind. All right, uh, we got a couple more. And this one is uh, from Patrick McConnell. Or sorry, sorry, I skipped over one. This one is from W. Shady. How does this year's defensive crop stack up against last year's? Um, not great because last year had David Juracek and Simon Nemich who were top five picks and were both pretty good at the World Juniors. Although Nemich I thought was only okay where Juracek was incredible. Um, you know, there are some guys that are starting to emerge and we're seeing some players that, but, but ultimately this year's draft is not very strong on the D core. You know, there, there aren't a lot of the guys that you can just peg as like, this guy's definitely a top pairing. This guy's a top four, this guy's a top, you know, he's a power play guy. Um, but we're seeing more emerge. So I think it's a little early to say, but I think in general, just to answer this briefly, I still think that this year's D core class, you know, is, is not terribly strong and not terribly exciting. Um, so if you're looking for defense, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more available in the later stages of the first round that will be guys that you can be happy with picking in that range. Whereas you might feel a little bit more risk if you're picking in the top 10, top 15, and you take a defenseman, there just aren't as many there. And we're seeing a lot of guys that we thought were really good at the beginning of the season falter and guys that we didn't have quite on our radar you know, really raise up. So we have to continue watching just to see, but I don't think the decor is going to be a, a huge, a huge success by any means from this, this draft class, but you never know. Time only will tell. All right. Our next one comes from Patrick McConnell. He says, after watching the world juniors, has your opinion on Adam Fantilli and, and Leo Carlson changed in any way, or did they just confirm information you already knew about them? How would you compare them? Well, I would, not really compare them uh, a ton because I think that, you know, there, there's a big difference between um, what Fantilli does and what Carlson does. I think that Fantilli is a much more speed-based game. It's uh, energetic, powerful, um, whereas Carlson is cerebral, skilled, calculating, um, uh, but also he's, he's physically bigger um, and physically stronger. And so he's got really good hands and he can get to the interior a little bit easier. But I will say that I think Fantilli to me is, you know, this world junior did nothing to sway my opinion on him. I think he's the second best player in the draft. I think that he's got a bright future ahead of him. I think he is a center. Um, I think, you know, Leo Carlson is, it can play center, can, can do a lot of different things, but you know, I think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different things that are kind of happening um, with those two players. And so, but, but I think that, Leo Carlson, what he's done in the SHL level, what he did at the World Juniors, Adam Fantilli, what he's doing at the college level, what he did at the World Juniors, you know, really impressive. Two guys I think are are solidified in that top five. I really like where they're at. I'm excited to see what they do um, going forward. So, uh, but that is uh, that's 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 kind of where we're at with those guys and on the draft. And then um, I'm excited to see kind of where the rest of the season plays out. Is Fantilli going to get more opportunities? Is he going to be able to help Michigan get to a national championship? Is Leo Carlson going to play a significant enough role in the SHL and make an impact late in the season? Does he get an opportunity with the Swedish national team? There are all sorts of different things that happen um, over the course of the season that we're going to have to continue to watch. But I think at the World Juniors, both did what they were supposed to do, and that was good enough for me. Last question of the podcast, and this is uh, not World Junior related, but it's from Hannah Stewart, and she asks, thoughts on Seamus Casey at 1C 
experiment. It delighted me. So this is in reference to University of Michigan. Seamus Casey went, came back from the World Juniors, hadn't played at all. They had an exhibition game against the under-18 team, and they listed Seamus Casey as the number one center. I didn't actually watch the game, so I can't tell you if the experiment was uh, successful or not because Seamus Casey is a defenseman. But Michigan was so shorthanded, they had to use multiple players in positions that they wouldn't normally play, including Seamus Casey playing number one center. He is a brilliant skater. He's highly uh, highly skilled offensively. And I think this year he's shown that he can score as well. I think it's fun. It's cool to try things. I love that Michigan has been able to, to, to expand a lot of their offensive skill of their players. And I think that's going to be a really, really good thing uh, to see uh, going forward. But I don't think we'll see Seamus Casey as a forward or a number one center anytime soon. Hopefully it'll get uh, better. As for, for Michigan with, with everybody back from the World Juniors and they can go back to their regular positions. All right, everybody. We went a little bit long today, but there were a lot of great questions and I'm super excited that you asked them. Thanks for sending them in. It was great to be part of the World Juniors. I hope that you checked out all of our content at Flow Hockey. If not, you can click on any World Junior story and just click at the top and it'll give you a link to every single story and video interview that I did while at the World Junior Championship. And again, there's more to come, some recap content, more player analysis coming your way on flowhockey.tv. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Flow Hockey as part of the Flow Sports Network. Just get all that stuff. So many great sports and so many great events coming your way throughout the rest of the season. Do not wait. Annual subscription, totally worth it, especially if you're a hockey nut. And then Make sure you are checking out all of our content across all platforms. Cannot wait to give you much more in the second half of the season. There's so much more to get to. We've got a lot of coming up. We've got draft rankings. We've got all sorts of different things. We've got power rankings for college and everything else. We'll have college playoffs and just so much coming. This is a great time of the year. The World Juniors kind of sets the table for the second half. Can't wait to get through it. And I can't wait to bring you more right here on Talking Hockey Sense. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time. 